My career sucks. Sex just isn't the same. What's my purpose? Where did this fat come from? My relationship is killing me. I'll never be happy. My debt is piling up. I'll never find love. Why can't I be like other gay guys? Hey guys, it's time to get a grip, stop whining, make a bold move, and do something amazing with your 40-plus gay life. Let's get to the show with your tell-it-like-it-is host, Rick Clemens, who does his best to never act like a dick or a diva unless you act like one first. All right, guys, it's time for another episode of 40 Plus Gay Man Gay Talk, and guess what we're going to do today? We're going to talk about something that so many of you guys just, well, you don't want to talk about it. It's about that shame. It's about that depression. It's about the anxiety that we feel as gay men, even gay men over 40. I mean, come on, let's get real, guys. This stuff has been embedded in our DNA and our systems because of who we are. And today I brought a guy that I'm I'm really, truly looking forward to having the conversation with. He's a licensed clinical social worker. He's been doing this work for over 14 years, and he specializes in working with gay men around their shame, around their sexuality and their self-expression and, and how to improve those relationships and self-esteem as a gay, queer, bi, trans man. So I don't want to wait any longer. I want to bring this guy on board. His name is Nick Santo, not Santos, guys, Santo. And Nick, I'm so excited to have you here, man. Thanks for being part of the 40 Plus podcast today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here too. Awesome. You just dive right in and like, go like, let's go to heal the shame and stuff. So it's because okay. you have a magic wand, right? You just take, <laughs> I do. Yeah. Every gay man comes to me uh, and says, uh, every look at that guy. He's already it. owning the whole world. Every gay man comes to me. <laughs> all, all of them. All <laughs> Where's your magic wand? Uh, so I look, I, I, you, your intro, I think uh, is fantastic. I think it kind of, it, it really paints a broad picture of what, uh, gay by trans men deal with on the day to day and i think when i think about shame i think about what does it do to our bodies right not mm -hmm. just our minds how how and where and what are we feeling right so i think when people think about coming to therapy they think about okay well i know these things like i i, I know that i feel shame i know that i feel like uh discomfort in these settings well, you know what do i do about it and i i shame becomes hardwired i don't know why i had that weird accent just there so <laughs> like, i like I it i like it <laughs> and what uh, you just said was so powerful shame becomes hardwired i'm like oh you go boy i'm like we're gonna have a good conversation here it becomes hardwired into your nervous system right and so you just respond instinctually right to, to and sometimes even if you um are aware of it intellectually emotionally uh and and, and physically you're your body is going to go into fight, flight, or freeze mode, depending on the situation, or fawn. Um, and uh, I, I think what what often gets overlooked is how on the day-to-day, -day, the very little things that we kind of do, how much it's impacting the decisions that we're making, and who we decide to surround ourselves by, the people we decide to engage with, the decisions we make in terms of our careers. Right? Sometimes it might hold us back from like asking, I want to raise. I deserve a raise. Right. Um, or I deserve a promotion. Right. And so uh, it, it will get in the way or you stay in relationships longer than you need to. Right? And, I'll, and sometimes people think that these things are unrelated and they're not. Right? They're, they're, they're very they're, they're interwoven in such a way that uh, it becomes this narrative, this story that you tell yourself. On replay over and All over time. and over, over again. and over again. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it carries forward. I mean, it's, it's amazing when I'm working with somebody who's coming out of the closet, you know, of course, okay, let's be honest. There's a lot of shame and guilt and anxiety and all that stuff that gets associated with that. They could be 45, 50, 55, you know, I work with younger people too, but like, I think the youngest guy I've worked with to date is about 24 and there was so much shame and guilt. And he's like, Oh, I'm, I'm so far behind. I'm like, well, bitch, you, you're not, you're not anywhere behind, you know, but yeah. in his mind, he was, but the shame and guilt around it was huge. Yeah. Yeah. And as we worked and I, and I, I've stayed in touch with him and he's a great guy. And, you know, he's probably at this point, he's like probably mid thirties now. Every once in a while, he reaches out and we'll have a quick little conversation. I'm not coaching him anymore, but, um, and I just have to like, go, man, why are you letting that show up? You know, then, then the shame and the anxiety shows up. And I don't think this is anything we ever like completely can rid of our DNA. It's, as you said, it's hardwired into us, but we can sure learn to embrace it and work with it. And so why was this an important avenue for you to say, hey, in my specialty as a psychotherapist, this is one of the things I'm really going to address. Yeah. How much time do we have? <laughs> so. Well, this is not like a 30-minute session. It's not like a full hour session. Man, so. <laughs> okay. uh, I just actually, I want to go back to, to your person that went, that felt like they were so far behind at 24 because that resonated so much for me because mm. I think back on in my early 20s and what that meant, I feel like I'm so far behind. I'm going this, but we think about this in terms of like, let's like lost years. A lot of us, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the LGBTQ plus communities, just in, in the intersecting identities, you know, regardless of what generation you are from, yep. felt like we've lost so much time, right? And so even if you're in your early 20s, like, I, I miss out on my adolescence. I miss out on what this could be. I miss out on embracing these parts of myself in, 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 in ways that could feel just so, like, not just restorative, but generative, like there's a growth that's possible because when you finally embrace and you finally step out into the world, you're like, well, uh, that's a curse. I'm sorry. Uh, no, you know, we, we curse here. Damn it. We, we, we have full rights to say whatever the fuck we want on this podcast. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Grace. Great. I'm, I'm into it. But, um, but you kind of realize this moment, like, what did I, what did I miss? And now what do I do? Right. And then the whole world, the whole, the all around you, the, the, I'll say the LGBTQ plus communities are seemingly so far ahead of you. And that you feel mm -hmm. like you have to play a, catch up, a, a game of catch up. Um, and uh, it can be really intimidating, right? Where's my entry point? Who am I? Yep. What do I, you know, what do I sound like? What do I look like? How do I move? Who, who, what, are, what are my interests? Like, and all of those things start to come up with no real answers sometimes. Yep. Not um, I know you asked me a question. Um, and well, but, but no, you yeah. went, you went there in a really good way because there's this interesting piece of, and you're kind of playing in, you know, where my question was, of whether you're coming out later in life or you're in your midlife coming out or whether you're suddenly at, you know, 30, 40, you know, a lot of the guys that listen to this are 40 plus obviously, mm -hmm. and they're hitting that block wall. Of, okay. I'm done screwing around. I'm done just hooking up. I want something more there's suddenly anxiety and depression and shame around. Okay. But I just want to be some, I want to be maybe in a, a mono, quote monogamous relationship. I don't know why I just said quote monogamous. It's like you're in a monogamous, you know, you want to be in a monogamous relationship. And suddenly depending on who you're hanging around with and stuff like, well, why would you want to do that? Or my God, I, I, you know, you're, you want to be in a relationship, but you want to be in an open relationship, you know? And so there are all of these things 
going after a job. Yeah. You said it. That's a big thing. Like guys, you know, a lot of the guys that I work with are in that midlife space where they're wanting to like up level and find their passion. But then they start feeling guilty and anxious about walking away, right. as most of us do, like mm -hmm. walking away from a solid income yeah. that you're like, oh, this is what, you know, but they want that other piece. So then suddenly the guilt and anxiety shows up. So in your work, I'm and sure, can... yeah, I'm sure this shows up a hundred thousand different ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of that can come from just generational, like, like, um, uh, messaging, right? Is that yep. you have a job, don't leave that job, right? Yep. If you leave that job, I'm grateful. Like you're, you're supposed to be dedicated to that one particular thing your entire life. And that, you know, that's just it, now, now <laughs> just inherent, not true, right? You, you, in order to move up and move on and continue to grow, you have to move on, yes. right? And in, in career, uh, uh, you know, opportunities. Um, you know, I want to just, you know, you talked about kind of uh, men over 40. I see a lot of people in their mid to late 30s, in their 40s, men who have just come out and only just really started to embrace themselves and say, who am I as a sexual being? Who am I as a boyfriend, you know, a partner to someone else? Um, you know, how, you know, how do I um, manage and share my sexual identity without it becoming, being pigeonholed into just that part of me? Uh, mm -hmm. because Sometimes in, in some situations that may happen. You mentioned open relationships, which is, I think, um, or or monogamy. There's no one right way to be in a relationship. There's the only right way is what works for you and your partner or partners yep. Right? Yep. in that, you know, and what you've created. The judgment from the outer world right, is something else. And and that that will trigger your shame. And so that goes back to the hardwiring, right? Is that when someone says, Oh, well, you want to be in an open relationship, like what's wrong? This is like this judgment of like your mm -hmm. your sexual. You're not, you know, not just who you're attracted to, but also, you know, there's this perversion to it, right? That mm -hmm. you're doing something dirty, something. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you don't know how to be in a committed relationship. Well, that's not true. Wrong. Yeah, there's right. something wrong. And so exactly. then that does bring up the shame from, you know, all the child and stuff. I was interviewing mm -hmm. another um, podcast guest, I don't know, a month or so ago. And we, we, all we focused on was like the childhood traumas, you know, and the, the 10 traumas that typically show up. And, it was triggering me even being in the podcast. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, by the time we were done, I'm like, girl, I need to drink. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm done here. I'm done. But, um, but it is an interesting space. So you yeah. alluded to before we came on to record that a lot of this emanated from your own personal experience. Absolutely. Yeah. As did mine. I decided yeah. I wanted to do this work because of my own personal experience. So how was that for you knowing that you're going to enter into a helping environment where a lot of times you're going to confront stuff that you personally confronted in your own world? Mm -hmm. Is that hard? Uh, oh, very. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that was probably one of the hardest things and to do. And, uh, you know, I, I was in my own therapy. I am in my own therapy. And I, and a lot of the, uh, the narrative that kept coming up for me, the, the, the most recurring thoughts and most recurring feelings were, um, of bringing shame to my family mm. right? and that, uh, and bringing shame to my communities. Now, 
I think that the messaging I received either from, you know, family members or my peers growing up was, you know, and, right. and at that time, even just like kind of sociopolitically, like it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't embraced, right. Um, you know, gays were pretty much a punchline at the time. And yep. we can all go back and just kind of look back at what that was and what it was like. Um, but at the same time, it was also forward moving, right. To some mm-hmm. degree, like having a gay person on TV. Um, but it sent a lot, it sent a lot of mixed messages. Yeah. Um, that you're only good at you're only good until this point, right? And mm. you're only good for the butt of the joke. Um, and I was often the butt of the joke. I was bullied a lot, um, you know, and uh, for just not being boy enough, mm. um, not liking the same things, um, you know. And uh, my biggest worry was not just bringing shame to my family, but like for my parents specifically, but to my worry was hurting their feelings that maybe mm. some of the decisions that they've made or something that they may have been thinking or feeling that you know, they may have done something wrong. Um, but I, I'm very fortunate and not everyone has parents in the, in the uh, even today in the world that we live in, the world we live in um, that were open to having that discussion and like, you know, what did I do then? And how do I change now? Right. And so I have very loving parents, very open parents who were just, I think, welcoming of that, realizing that maybe the messaging that they were getting mm-hmm. in raising a, a different child like yes. they kind of, um, was wrong. And they were able to own that. And that was, mm-hmm. I think, what really helped. Right. But I had to be able to face it. I had to be able to tell them that. And that right. took a lot of my own therapist and kind of working through that and kind of building up the courage and, 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 and finding the words in a loving way in a compassionate mm-hmm. way to share that. And that, and, and, you know, I'll tie it back to some of the hardwiring too, is that I had to also learn how to sit with that discomfort and heal my discomfort, give myself mm-hmm. the space, give myself the permission to feel those things, but also give myself like some forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, um, and forgive being open myself to being forgiving to others. Right. And, and that in part um, was super helpful. Now, I cautiously say being forgiving to others because you could be forgiving to others and open and Mm -hmm. welcome them kind of like what I have with my parents. Like we were able to have the discussion and move forward and grow together. Um, Some people, some parent families won't do that. Yes. So you don't give forgiveness for forgiveness sake. Right. I think it's, I think that, that, that is your own journey, right? If there's, if the people in your life are continuing to harm you emotionally, Mm -hmm. uh, then, it's really at, which is a hard thing to hear. Sometimes it's up to you to make the decision of whether or not how much you of yourself. It's interesting you bring not- that up. It's interesting you bring that up, Nick, because not long ago I was, I don't know, I was driving somewhere, long trip, and I was listening to uh, one of Oprah's Super Soul Sundays, and she mm-hmm. talked about forgiveness. And she goes, mm-hmm. "Here's the thing about," and I don't, I don't, I wish I could remember who she was um, interviewing, but she said, "Here's the thing I've learned about forgiveness." You can forgive, but that doesn't mean you have to invite them into the, your life. Exactly. And I, that, I thought that was a really beautiful way of positioning it. You know, yeah. I can forgive somebody, but that doesn't mean they have to be a part of my world. But mm-hmm. there's something you just said that like really s- struck a chord with me in a really powerful way. That feeling of you're only good up to this point and how, you know, we're the good boys until suddenly we're the sissy boy or we're not masculine enough or right. we're not smart enough. And and here's the thing. It's not just about that either. It's like you're good enough unless you don't make the grades, you know, or you didn't perform, you know, in that sport or something like that. 
this to me is one of the key critical things. And I love the reason I'm bringing this up because you said it that way. I think it's a really powerful statement for everybody who's listening to think about how many times you say this to yourself. You're only good up to a certain point. You only good until you walk into the bar and suddenly you feel like nobody's going to look at you. You're only good if you show up in certain circles and you have the right outfits on, or you're only good if you can go to a social function and talk about, oh, this is the fabulous vacation, or did you go to this pride celebration or whatever it might be. Where do we all think this started? It started in our, our social upbringings. And we do this day in and day out. You're only as good as your, you know, 10,000 followers on Instagram, right? But when we can break that thought, and if everybody, again, listening can think through, you're only good up to that point, and you can break that thought, think about how much shame, think about how much anxiety, how much guilt you release when you quit thinking, I'm only so good. It, releases so much. And I think this is one of the things that many gay men struggle with is we have to be good, 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 good. You have to have the bubble, butt. we have to have the abs. We have to have this. We have to have that. Just embrace the good that you are and move the fuck on. And I think a lot of gay men have a hard time dealing with that. So as you work I, with guys who struggle with that, what's something that you would say is a, is a way that you would, walk them through you know that experience and yes we only still only have 30 minutes so i know i'm trying to pack a whole you know 10 sessions here in like five minutes but what's one thing that you would work on yeah. uh well first i i would probably and and what i was thinking anyway is what i want to introduce is that we are we are social beings mm -hmm. right we all want to find we all want a place to belong we all want to feel like we belong somewhere. We all want to feel like we we match and like connect with other people in very human ways. Um, uh, and and um, that desire to like, I need the six pack abs to fit in. When you hone it in, and zero it in just on that one thing, right? then you, the, the depth of your relationship that you're looking for is non-existent. And mm -mm. so you can still strive for the six pack abs, but maybe you should also look for something below the surface and right? something mm -hmm. deep. Are the people, people that you're surrounding yourself by treating you with respect, respecting mm -hmm. your time, respecting your emotions, respecting when you say no, right? Are you showing up in an outfit that they may not necessarily really like, but they, you know, for themselves, but they love it and they embrace you and they say rock right. it, you know, like, I mean, like that, you know, that that's great, right? That I think that part of that is, you know, Step into your space and own yourself. Take take accountability for, you know, I'm here as I am and I own that, right? And I get that that could also come from a very privileged place because there are some people, particularly people in, my, in the Midwest, where they can't even walk outside their door in their, from their right. home and right. do that. And, and that's largely for safety. Yes. Um, and... Uh, in the circles, though, that you build, that's still important, right? I think that chosen family, the phrase mm -hmm. which we're all familiar with, yeah, is uh, still relevant today. Mm -hmm. It's very relevant. But that. to your point about owning yourself, so let's <laughs> let's go to the Midwest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe you can still own yourself, even in the even in the quiet of the closet you have to live in to be safe. Oh yeah. It, 
And I think a lot of people get hung up on that. They and again, we're going to go to here's where societal pressure starts to show. Yeah. Well, you're not gay enough if you don't do this. Yeah. Well, who defined fucking gay? I mean, I'm sorry, you know. Yeah. Um, and and I'm not discounting anybody who you know who has to. I mean, I grew up in Oklahoma, Texas, all those lovely states. I wasn't yeah. out at that point in time. I mean, I kind of was. I knew there was something different with me, you but knew. I wasn't. Yeah, I knew there was no yeah. doubt. I knew, but. Owning who you are starts with within. Yes. If you and can't. That's who you're to. Well, exactly. Exactly. And you, if you can't express it, that's okay. Because if that expression is going to put you in a space of danger, just know that you are who you are. Yes, it gets hard at some point. It gets really hard to like bite your tongue and all this sort of stuff. But I've worked with so many people in those. <laughs> I live on the West Coast. And everybody's like, oh, so you only work with people in California? I'm like, no, actually, the bulk of my clients are in Arkansas, Oklahoma, you know, all these other spaces that where it's not as accepted to be who you are. And especially in this day and age with everything that's going on. But it's just one of my core messages is always as I'm working with clients is you got to own and love yourself. Before you can be ready to go out there, I think RuPaul says something like that, you know, before you can go out there and be owned and loved by somebody else, not that you need to be owned by somebody else, but try to find those pathways and realize that what Nick and I are talking about, this guilt and shame and all this sort of stuff, those are the roadblocks. There's Mm -hmm. nothing to feel guilty about. There's nothing to feel shame about because of who you are. I don't care if you're sex, you know, if you're a gay guy, if you're a trans guy, if you're, you know, bisexual, and I've worked with some bisexuals who they really struggle at times. Like, I don't, you know, all I hear is, you know, pick a side, pick a side, pick a side. I just want to slap everybody who's like, pick a side, you know, I'm sorry, just let somebody be who they are. But in something else you just said that I found was really powerful around that is, yes, the support is important in finding your chosen people, your chosen family. But it made me think about what we just were talking about, which is, but if you don't choose yourself, if you don't choose yourself first, mm-hmm. nobody else is going to be able to do this for you. Right. And that and that is kind of where you start to bridge the gap between self-awareness and awareness of other people in your in your mm-hmm. space. Right. And so uh, that that experience of accepting yourself, bringing, you know, it, what what does that mean? What is that? Because all that you probably know about yourself is the messaging that you received and internalized. And well, so, and the mes- and the messaging you still allow to internalize that you may be giving yourself too. I mean, there there does right. come that point where, and I love that you brought up this self awareness piece. At some point, you have to own that you also get to choose the messages that you believe and buy into. I mean, one of my big core tenets in one of the talks that I do is, you know, you can be confused. That's where you kind of start to figure all this stuff out. Okay, let we got to get you out of confusion and start getting super curious. But if you don't start owning the courage to own your truth, nothing else is going to matter. But guess yeah. what? You get to choose to do things your own way. And I say this a lot with guys that like are working with me. Like, okay, so yes, I'm out. I'm, I'm finally out. And and then they go out for the first time. I actually have a, <laughs> I actually have a client this weekend going out for the first time. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> phone is on. It's ready for those calls, right? And um because he's going to, I know he'll get confronted with a lot of different stuff that he's going to have to like navigate through. Like, oh, you were married. Oh, wow. I don't know. You're, then you're not a true gay or, you know, an any of those kind of messages. Yeah. But that's an excellent learning opportunity. Right. And I think absolutely the hardwired piece, right. Is that we just as 
our nervous system is designed to prevent us from feeling discomfort and distress. Mm-hmm. Why would I want to put myself in that situation? Right. So then you're going to, what you might end up doing is what you always done, put yourself in a safe corner. I'm better here. Still miserable, but I'm better and I don't have to deal with that. Right. And so when you put yourself in that situation, you are, and, and kind of how I frame it to some of, uh, some of my clients that I see is that you are, developing a sense of agency over your mind, over your body, over your experiences, right? You cannot control what other people Mm -hmm. do, say, respond, react, but you know who you are. And even if you're still trying to find the right words to express that, here's a chance for you to give that a shot, right? And that's something I learned over the last, like for myself, you know, over the course of my own, like just um, kind of training, my academic training, my my clinical training uh, is... Is, is that piece, you know, I, I think for a very long time, I was telling you pre-show actually like that, you know, that uh, if this was five years ago, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be sitting here on this podcast with you because I, I feel like I had nothing to offer the world. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, I think, you know, looking back on it, I was like, well, like, damn, like well, I, I do have something. I may not have something for everybody, but I have something for somebody. Now, so you just you just created a big old lie because you told us at the beginning you had a magic wand for everybody. All gay <laughs> men come to you. So, you know, but no, I, I I am so relating to what you're saying right now, Nick, because as I started my coaching. I was, you know, guys were coming to me who had been married and were coming out of the closet. And that's what started me considering becoming a coach. I, I mean, I thought about it for years and years and years. And it was always like, no, nah, I can't make any money or I just started this job or this, you know, and I was high up in some organizations. I'm like, well, why would I throw all this away? Right. Always reasons not to. Always reasons not to. And then even as I got started and it was a rough, rocky start because, you know, running yep. your own business is a tough gig, you know, getting customers in the door and all this. There's sort of stuff. no guarantee. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing that totally. was keeping me from that guarantee was, well, who's going to, who's going to work with me? Who, you know, is this, why, I don't understand. Why, why can't people figure this out? I figured it out. Why should they work? And then my therapist and my coach. So guess guys, I had both, <laughs> both said, you're not owning your, your, your greatness, Rick. You yeah. literally, and it was so ironic. Cause it was like, I can't remember if I went to my therapist first or my coach, but it was in a, like a three week period. I had had sessions with both of them. Cause I was to the point where I was like only working with each of them, like every third week, you know, off and on. And it was so interesting that one of them said, I want you to do this. I want you to think through your entire experience of coming out and all the things you learned that you're going to pass on to people. <laughs> and then look at those things and don't be super judgmental. Like, okay, well, I learned how to navigate, you know, conversations with my wife, how to walk through a divorce, how to, sit in a room in a mediation, how to embrace my children at the levels, of, you know, so write that out. So then I literally, I think I, that was when my therapist first and I walked into my coach and they're like, so why, why are you not getting any business? Ah, who's going to pay me? Like, okay. This is going to be yeah. a really, he literally said, this is going to be a really short session. Cause he goes, we're, I'm going to send you off to go do some homework. I want you to go and sit down and write down everything. You, I'm like, really, did you just talk to my therapist? Like, this is exactly what, it was the best exercise, Nick, that I could have done because I'm like, okay, two people just bitch slapped me upside the head and said, come on, own your worth, right? And then a year later, I'm sitting working um, with my, I'm working at an event for my coaching certification. Well, I, I already got certified. I was working with the coaching company I w- went through. 
And a girlfriend of mine who was highly successful said, how's your business? Eh, it's okay. And she's like, well, what do you mean? Okay. You should be like knocking it out of the park, you know? And she was big, like over, I shouldn't say over a She was, she wanted the empire. I'd never wanted the empire. I just like, Hey, I just want to be a coach. I want to make about this. Da, 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 right. And she goes, you're just not owning it. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm sick of people <laughs> telling me this. Right. But then a year later, we're at the same event. We're being the bad kids at the back of the room. Like we're supposed to be helping, which we were, but then when it wasn't, we're sitting in the back chit-chatting, right? She asked the same question. This time it pissed me off. And I walked out of that event like, okay, mm. I own that I'm a coming out expert. I may not have a PhD or a doctorate, but I'm an expert, uh, you know, personal experience expert. And I, I can meet people in places that some people wouldn't feel that way talking to Nick because Nick's full of shit, guys. No, I'm kidding. Nick's not full of shit. I love what <laughs> Nick's saying. Man, it was so big when I owned that because Nick literally within three months, so much stuff started happening. That's when the this podcast started. That's when I started writing the book. That's when I got on national TV. I'm like, okay, wow. When you own something, not from a place of ego, when you mm -hmm. own what your value is and you own what you can bring into the world. And that's why even this conversation with you, this is why I value having people like you in my world and in my podcast, because even though Nick has the magic wand and all gay men go to him, I'm going to tell you, not everybody can go just to Nick. That, that's why they need a Nick <laughs> and a Rick. Okay. But I think you're, what you're setting up there really beautifully, man, is so many gay men don't own their value and themselves. I think because they don't believe that they can, that they have no exactly. control of their own lives. Right. Yep. And I think mm -hmm. the, the big theme here is that, that no one told you that you can. Everyone told you that you can't. Mm -hmm. right? And so I think now, and then when being finally getting to that point where you can embrace that, I think is important. And so, so you know, I had a, I had a, a committee chairperson um, who, uh, on my, um, for my degree, um, developed a great relationship with her. She's fantastic. We still talk today. And um, she said something to me when I was, I was terrified to give um, my defense and, 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 and get up there and, and share my work. She's like, you have something to say mm -hmm. what's stopping you from saying mm -hmm. and then i started really and it's not that i haven't talked about these things before they were in my conscious awareness right yeah it was the emotional side of things i think that the underlying stuff that was really kicking in and was take what really took over took me over mm -hmm. um and she's like I said, well, what if, what if, you know, people like don't, you know, they, they criticize me or they say that I'm not smart enough, not good enough. She's like, then fuck them. Mm -hmm. and she's like, you were going to reach someone and mm -hmm. that's what matters. Right. And so, you know, I, 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 something that was just so simple to me, but, but I also think that in part that we developed a really strong relationship over, over the years that we were working together. And so it just, it just, it, and she knew me as a clinician where sometimes I also felt like, am I a good enough clinician? Mm. Right. And so that doubt often creeps in. Right. And sometimes, you know, I don't, I mean, now this is on a podcast, so who everyone's hearing it, but, you know, even therapists have doubts, even well, coaches exactly. have doubts, right? And it's about themselves. And we have to learn how to better deal with them. And that's why it's so important to not just have the supports, but know what to do with those feelings when you get them. But there's a piece of this puzzle. Mm -hmm. And I haven't, I haven't even thought about this in a while. And it's, I, I, it's been years since this came up. It came up many, many moons ago on the podcast. And you just said the words and it rang through a grin. It's three simple words. You have something. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking to STD guys. I'm talking about you have <laughs> something, right? 
And if you really just use those words as an affirmation, you have something. And then you can add to give. You have something to speak. You have something to, you know, bring to the, I don't care what comes after that. It's the first three words. You have something. And the more you start to bring that into your being, into your DNA, into the way that you talk to yourself, number one, it can change everything. And as the reason that struck a chord with me is I'm, I'm sitting here. Well, hopefully, yes, I'm, I'm I, actually, this is going to air not too far down the road. So probably still will be to the, that space to some degree. I'm sitting here on, on book number two, it's done. It's written. It's been edited once. And I'm sitting here because I'm being a little lazy. I don't want to write the book proposal, but I sure mm. want to get it out in the world. And guess what's holding me back? I'm like, I don't know if it's going to be good enough. Even though, Nick, I've had 10 people, 10 people, none of, not all are fans of Rick, okay? I'm talking some people that don't even know me, really, know me a little bit, who've read the book. And not one of them has said, it's a piece of shit. Actually, all of them have said, this needs to get put out in the world, Rick. But here I sit. Here I sit. <laughs> now, I am going to make a little excuse here. I am crazy busy right now, and it's like, by the time I get to the end of a day or to a weekend, I'm like, I just want to chill the fuck out. Sure. Yeah. But I also want this to happen, you know? So, you know, my coach said, when are you going to make space for this? He goes, I'm not yeah. beating you up. He goes, when are you going to make space for this? If this is important to you, when are you going to make space? And what are you afraid of is going to happen? I'm yeah. thinking too big picture right now. Well, then once that happens and I got to start marketing and, you know, what if I get a publisher, then it really is going to come out for two years. And da -da. I'm like, well, guess what, Rick, if you get a publisher and it's not going to come out for two years, guess what? You don't have to fucking worry about it for at least a year because I've been down right. this path, you know? So it's such an you know, interesting a, thing to see me do this. So what were you going to say? Yeah. No, I was just saying that you, you, you've been down this road before. Right. Yeah. And so I, and now you have something to go back to and look at and like, what did I do before? And what can I do now? And how, right. and, and, and where you make that space. Right. And so, right. The, and, and kind of it, depending on who I'm talking to, I kind of use different, different language, but these are, you know, we, we talked about hardwiring. I mean, obviously I said that I've been like a bazillion times here, but we can talk about the old ghosts, right? The old ghosts mm -hmm. that continue to haunt your, the, you know, the dark corners of your, of your mind and your body. Right. And, and th that those ghosts come back and sometimes you have to be able to confront them, shine a light on them and say, okay, well, you, you, you're present, but you're not taking over me. Mm -hmm. right? Not, you're not, you're not going to navigate this path. I am right. Because mm -hmm. there's a part of me now that has taken over. Right. Um, or those old parts of yourself that were self-deprecating, um, yep. self-defeating, you can go back and look at them and say, Hey, I know you were hurt. I know this was scary for you. And where we are right now is that it doesn't have to be. We know what we want. We know who we are. We know we have something to offer and we're going to do it. And we're going to do it scared. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's where the repeating pattern of fear, which a lot of times can be tied to some guilt or shame or something along that is such a powerful force that we just stand there. So it's been an interesting journey to watch myself work through this and, mm -hmm. and to see, like, I, I'm very valid with it. You know, like I'm not even going to call it an excuse. Like here's the reality. Yeah. I need time, you know, time to do this, but it wasn't until, you know, your children's often say the things that, <laughs> that wake you up. Right. Yeah. And my daughter said, well, I don't want to be morbid. <laughs> 
but what if you have another stroke dad? Oh. <laughs> I'm like, okay, got the message, right? Right, you know? right there. Right. <laughs> yeah, right, right there. And, and she goes, and I don't mean it that to mean mean dad. Yeah. But she goes, I know this book is really, and she's one of the ones who read it. And actually it wasn't that daughter that said that. The other one just kind of like that. I don't know, you know, I, I want you to do this, but what if you have another stroke? Then what? Well, it came from a very loving place. It did. And that's why I took it the way I did, because I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Got the message. Got the message really solid there. So, and I don't think we have to be ultra dramatic that way to get to the things we want to do in life. But I think also you're right. These ghosts that haunt us that are there and they're all built into our lovely little DNAs and minds and recesses of our subconscious and all this sort of stuff. Um, they can be the biggest detriments to who we are as gay men. And especially if you've done, had any any experience around conversion therapies and all those sort of things. It's just, it's, it's a crazy yeah. nasty space to play in. So, right. so right. before we wrap yeah, it up here, Nick, yeah. I want, I have one big question for you. Uh-oh. What do you hope to, what do you hope to do most with this beautiful gift you've been given? I think early on, I think the biggest, the, the biggest challenge for me was I want to help everyone. Mm. I can. And I know that I can't. Right. And accepting that, accepting my mm. limits also accepting and owning what exactly what you said my gifts and what i can mm -hmm. offer those what gifts i can offer people and something that i i think that has been most profound and most powerful is i i actually i just finished writing a paper that hopefully i hope it's going to get published this year but i, don't, I, I highly doubt it but right. um it you know it's going to get published eventually but talking about like also the gifts that you get in in therapy like that there's a back and forth there um between like the you know client and the uh therapist there Right. Um, so what do you most hope to, to give, uh, I hope a sense of security in yourself, mm. I hope a sense of safety, like that, uh, that, you know, whether it's something from this conversation we're having here, that I hope someone's taking something from this. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I want to, you know, I have, I have a big picture of goals and kind of where I want to take my practice and, and, and far reaching places. Like kind of, like you said, you, you know, you coach in different States. My life is limited to do that. I can't, right. um, but I'm trying to find ways. How, how can I reach, you know, uh, people in states where you know isn't a therapist as as, the, as many therapists as there are starbucks in every corner right right <laughs> um, <laughs> well and so, sometimes you yeah. know you can get starbucks at your therapist too so you never know <laughs> so, i look uh, i i have gotten i have gotten starbucks with some of my, my clients and have taken walks and sometimes yeah, I, and that absolutely. just works the best instead of it does stuff room, you know um, although my office is not stuffy. It's kind of cute. I really like it. <laughs> okay. So but everybody write that, that down. Getting... If I'm going to work with him, he has a cute right. office. So now that's another bonus. He's... So now he has the wand and the cute office. So now there's every reason under the sun to be working with him. So, but, uh... right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, sometimes you, sometimes you have to step out of the, uh, the box mm -hmm. and, that, that is a way to do it. Um, and so I try to keep that in mind too. I think the pandemic really got me thinking about, I think I got a lot of people thinking about that. How do we do things differently? Yes. Yep. Yep. How do we do things differently? That's the biggest thing that I think that's on the minds of so many people right now. I mean, that's how I see a, a, a huge, I mean, I was kind of shocked that during that whole time, uh, well, first initially I lost a bunch of clients like, wait, we don't know what's happening. So we don't really want to be spending money. Like, okay, I get it. Totally get it. And then suddenly there was suddenly this surge, like, I, I need to do something. Something's got to give. I got to do something if I'm going to be yeah. sitting around. And the thing is, is, a lot of people were sitting around thinking, oh, isn't that interesting? The right. power yeah. of thinking. Right? 
Yeah. Yeah. What are we doing? But I think it, and and it is. And I saw that surge and then I saw a lot of, it was interesting, Nick, because my practice really moved away a lot from, well, it did move away a lot from guys coming out of the closet to just guys in midlife. Like what's next? What's next? What's next? I need to figure out what's next. I want something different. I want to be more passionate in what I'm doing, you know, and yet anxiety and guilt and shame and depression was it rampant as you and I've already talked, you know, it, it's something that's in our culture for gay men at a, I'm not saying not the rest of the world. We don't have the, we don't own the corner market on that, but right. I definitely have seen that increase in, in the clients or you there know, is. more clients with it. Do I, have, so. do I have time to say one more thing about that? Because I think, yes, yes, yes. Really yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is that, uh, you know, what, over the, as I've been doing more and more presenting and kind of writing, putting myself out there, something that I kind of, here often it's like well doesn't everyone feel that those things doesn't everyone feel shame everyone feel good yes yes they do no one's taking shame and guilt and anxiety away from you you can have all of it if you but i think that the way people lgbtq plus people and and, and all the intersecting identities that are interwoven with that right have a different way of experiencing it and we have to be open to hearing that and listening to that and what that is and ways to address it that are not cookie cutter because uh, I don't think therapy or coaching is a one size fits all. Right? Nope. It's who you working with, right? What is mm-hmm. what is on the table? It is a puzzle, right? I have I have a client who, um, you know, oftentimes refers to his life as a big puzzle, and that we're still putting the pieces together, and it's beautiful. And we we come back to that metaphor every year. And we I use my my trip my I get in the habit of trying to at the end of the year, like November, December, speaking with people about. What have you learned about yourself over the last year? What have you learned from our time together? What have you learned on your own out in the world by taking risks and everything? And and, and like a a bit of a, let's just reflect on what's been, what's been going on these last mm-hmm. 11, 12 months. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, how you've grown, really take stock of that. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's that. Um, well, and I feel like that's a big piece of the puzzle sometimes for gay men is they don't stop and take stock. They just keep going, just keep going, because it's, it's yeah. easy if you just keep going to ignore, to not deal, to not look at, to not address, you know, and Very, I think it's a powerful, powerful thing to do it. Yeah. The other way. So, you know, well, something's Nick, different about driving forward. I'm sorry. Exactly. No, no, you're good. No, I love the keep driving forward piece. So um, so if somebody wants to connect with you, what's the best way? Is it your website? What would be the best way? Um, so I do have a website. Um, I, I recently shortened the uh, the link name, which is uh, a lot easier to get to now. So it's okay. just my last name and, and psychotherapy. So it's sampsychotherapy.com. Uh, I'm also on Instagram. I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm not an influencer by any means. Uh, so I don't make flashy content and I don't dance. Um, but I try to put something out there that could be helpful uh, to awesome. some people. Occasionally I say words and that's at Dr. Nick Santo um, on okay. Instagram. Awesome. Well, Thanks so much for being here, Nick, and sharing yourself and and navigating through this in a really powerful way. I love that this is where we are, we are and where we've had the conversation. And I feel like it's it's something that we all need to be more present with is let's address it. Let's embrace it. Let's own it. And then let's get through it and make ourselves better because we've had the conversations we most need to have. So uh, nice meeting you, man, and having this conversation. I really appreciate you. Likewise, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That's a wrap for 40 plus gay men, gay talk, where size doesn't matter. We drop our bullshit, get over our screwed up fears, make bold moves and live life without apologies. 
Don't forget to join us on Facebook at 40 Plus Gay Men Gay Talk, where the conversations continue.